0: Welcome to the 24th ACC NOW podcast. I'm News & Observer Sports columnist, Winston Cox. Steve Wiseman is with me, our Duke beat writer. We both just listened to Mike Krzyzewski's last regular season pregame press conference, if you want to get granular about it, uh, here at Duke. And uh, we're both standing just outside Cameron. uh, on what is a lovely day. We should actually be outside if we were doing this right, but we're not. Steve, you, yes. your takeaways today from what K had to say—he covered a lot of ground, a lot of some ground he hasn't covered before this season. What were your takeaways?
1: Well, he allowed he allowed that he is actually, you know, this is in his mind that this is his last game, and he's done a really good job. Uh, he's talked about it all year about you know compartmentalizing that and just giving this team what it needs to be its best. And he started opening the door to that the other night in Pittsburgh after the game. That he know, he was like I know, it's going to be emotional, and his first time he's really said that, right? And then today he um, he mentioned that you know I was really thinking about it yesterday. And he kind of was kind of talking us through it as he was thinking about it today. I think when he said I'm going to have to sit down and have a talk with myself, right? I'm going to have to be have some tough talks with myself about getting through this. So he's he's you know getting behind the curtain a little bit more. He's opening up and, and, and admitting the obvious that. I, and I, I really think it's just the finality of I mean, you can't, you can't avoid it anymore. It's here yeah. two, two days from now. So that, that was one of my bigger takeaways was that.
0: I thought it was interesting how he talked about it. Uh, you know, the same way he would talk to a player about senior day, you know, don't spend all your energy in warm ups and things like that. I think there's some applications to things he's done throughout his career that he's trying to apply to himself. But I also think, that he's a more emotional person than, than he exposes sometimes with his, you know, the icy exterior we've all come to know. I think he's going to have a tougher time with this than even he realizes because the emotion in there, especially with 80 something former players in attendance, including allegedly Leitner, uh, who is right. very rarely appears in Cameron these days. Uh, I, I think I think this is going to be overwhelming for him, especially someone who, you know, was, we're, we're only a month removed from him having to leave the bench in the middle of a game from exhaustion. You know, this is he's he's 75. He's not as resilient as he used to be physically or mentally. That that is my suspicion that this will actually be harder for him than even he thinks it will be.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the first time I saw him show emotion about this during the season was at louisville when they had that ceremony and denny crumb was out there who's who's in his 80s Mm. and you know it's kind of frail he doesn't come to a lot of louisville games he's not of that health he can't really do it and he was on the court and he and Kay were embracing and you know Kay got a little misty-eyed with that and and um and then it's kind of continued and i asked him this today that's why i referenced it It was the, the tony bennett speech in virginia where he got an ovation from virginia fans which i didn't think was possible um, and then, you know, the Beheim. there's a military scholarship that Syracuse gave him and are named in his honor. And then mm. Jeff Capel the other night, when they got done embracing, Jeff Capel was wiping away tears from his face. He's walking over to coach the game and, and Kay, you know, wasn't doing that, but you could tell it was really, he hugged Cape Cape for a long time. That was a, um, that was the thing. So, uh, yeah, he, he is emotional about this and he's, every once in a while now where he's let that guard down and it's, it's going to be on full display Saturday. It's just a matter of if it'll be before the game. I and mean, he's been so good about, you know, it's, it's a game, it's a game day. Right. And that's why the other night at Pittsburgh, he was able to do something. Capel wasn't able to do. Capel really was, was, you know, tears on his face, you know, and, um, uh, you know, Kay's got to coach a game against Carolina and this, thing before the game you know there's going to be players it's going to be a whole scene his family's going to be involved you know it's going to be something and uh uh keep an eye on you know and and then the speech after the game I I don't know how I'm sure he's got prepared what he's going to say but there's going to be a ton of emotions and I just think he's going to it's going to break through I just I have a feeling I I don't think it will before the game I'm pretty sure after knowing him that's my if I was Vegas odds that'd be my hunch after the game
0: interesting he said today that his wife mickey had called him and said i don't want to put anything more on your plate but we have all these people coming are we actually <laughs> going to have time to see any of them which i thought was you know you you kind of forget sometimes it's not just the game and his speech and all of that it's uh everything around it is different than a normal senior day game against unc the the, the, the ancillary stuff but let's not lose sight of this there is a senior day game against unc and i would argue steve that this will be in the the, the news and observer shortly. This is the most pressure a Duke team has faced not to lose since the 1992 final four. Like you do not want to be the Duke team that screws this up for everybody. And and look, Carolina has been up and down, but when they are up, and we saw it last year in Cameron, an empty Cameron, but still, when they are up, they are explosive. And, you know, this is a, <laughs> almost lost at home to Syracuse the other night, but really turned it on at the end. Uh, when Mm the NCAA tournament hopes were were going down the drain. It would not shock me at all if Carolina came out and shot the doors up. Now, it wouldn't shock me at all if Duke was up 22-6. But, you know, I I think there's a a wide range of possibilities here, one of which is Carolina coming in and shooting 55% from three. What's your sense of of the game and what might happen? Right. It's easy to say Carolina has no pressure, right?
1: I mean, they – they need this for their tournament resume, but I think they're probably going to make it. So, but I mean, there's no like championship on the line. Duke's got number one, you know, tournament ACC wrapped up. Regular season, you're right. Duke has all the pressure, all the pressure, and that's a good. I, you know, I heard you ask uh, Jay Billis that question. It's really good because I hadn't thought about that. But it's 30 years ago is when that happened. They had a chance to repeat. Nobody had done that, you know, in in forever. And uh, since UCLA, and you're right, they didn't want to screw it up. It was it, it was the same team from before. They everybody thought they were going to win, but if they didn't, it would have been a huge letdown. And really, there's no other Duke team that's had that had that happen uh, since then. And so, um, yeah, I mean, even after the game the other night in Pittsburgh, Trevor Keels was the player that was brought up to talk to the media, and I asked him about you know wrapping up the regular season championship, and he was all, "That's good, but we've still got one more game. We're not going to celebrate until we get to with Carolina." Like the players. They feel it, that they, they don't want to lose this game for Coach K. I mean, it would be awful, right? So it's in their head. And uh, and yeah, so I, you know, as far as the matchup, Duke has all the matchup advantages, just like they did for the first game. I don't think Hubert will put Bacon on Bancaro, but I mean, that that's the point. I think maybe Hubert and his staff have learned from what they didn't do correct in that one, so they've got that advantage. Whereas Duke's players, we went out and beat them by thirty, you know, whatever it was twenty, but you know they, they blasted them. So human nature,
0: right? Yeah. Well, and you mentioned a second ago the, talking about the regular season title, which look Duke hadn't shared one since twenty ten when it was the number one seed in the in the tournament, but 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 shared with Maryland hasn't won mm-hmm. hadn't won one outright since two thousand six. Those are normally things Duke doesn't talk about, and Correct. and not so much in a. You know the the Carolina fans will get all all worked up about this. But you know th- there was they were that was always uh, subjugated to bigger goals. I mean, you wanted it great, but that was never the end goal. For this team, it was an end goal. Like it was something that they talked about. they talked about openly. because of yep. this, because of this season, because of these circumstances, winning the regular season had importance. It had as much importance as any of this stuff. They did not want to let. Be the team that let Coach K down, and that obviously, even with that taken care of, you know, it might almost be better for them if the regular season number one seed, all of that, were still hanging in the balance, because now there's nothing to gain from this game, but there's everything to lose. I think that's wild. Um, I shouldn't say nothing to gain. I mean, you still want to beat Carolina and all that, but it's it's a wild dynamic that we just don't see. Um, very often. And as you said, the matchups all, all go Duke's way, but Carolina has players, you know, Baycott and Love and Davis. If, if, if they can get Mark Williams in foul trouble, if, if Ben Carroll gets in foul trouble, now all of a sudden, you know, you're asking Theo John and Joey Baker and maybe even AJ Griffin to try to handle Baycott, who no one else has really been able to handle in the ACC this year. It becomes a, a really difficult challenge. Now, By the same token, you know Duke may be fueled by so much emotion that it's you know as I said earlier, thirty to two in the first ten minutes. But uh, it's it's a fascinating dynamic to me of of this team that is always expected to win now, really expected to win because the consequences of losing this game and you know can you imagine Coach K going out to give that speech when his you know his he's he's pissed off after for losing and his face is bright red and he goes out there and says tosses his notes away and says, ah, goodbye. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this, it was amazing. We're, we're leaving. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, no one wants to think about that or consider it or, or, you know, it's it, it Duke when, you know, I'm sure Carolina fans are salivating over the thought, but yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird set of circumstances. All right, Steve, uh, speaking specifically about Duke, theres it, it looks to me from the outside and you're more on the inside than I am that this team has grown slash improved a lot since the Virginia loss at home. And what, what have you seen in, in, to that effect? And in what ways has that manifested itself?
1: It's manifested itself on offense, I think, more than anything else, because they're sharing the ball better. You know, that game they lost to Virginia was 69 to 68. That was a terrible offensive game for Duke. If they do what they normally do, they win that by 10 points. You know, that's, they're usually scoring 75, 80 points a game and shooting close to 50%. And uh, they didn't do that that night. So I think their, their connectedness on offense, making the extra pass, getting the extra shot. Um, it showed when they won, you know, up in Charlottesville. And that was 64, 61. So, I mean, that's that's what Virginia does to teams. They bring them down a little bit. But, but uh, you know, Duke had, had a better offense that night. They made the shots late to, to, to win that game and it was and again that was a close game that they didn't mess up at the end right and that's been the the narrative that's you know true i mean they, that's how they lost those three conference games they were all close games they had the lead in the last 2 minutes and last minute most of them couldn't get done and and they've they've been able to do that be it AJ Griffin making a big shot and Carroll making a play whatever uh Trevor Keels is back and is playing better than he has since the first game of the year against Kentucky through the injury, so yeah, that that's how I've seen it. And uh, you know, Coach K said after the Virginia game, you could really tell how proud he was that they challenged them uh, like a veteran team with the game prep and all that stuff, and they they did it. They executed the plan, which they didn't do against Virginia. They challenged them that night too because they just beaten Carolina by twenty on the road. and Two days later, had to play Virginia, which is a hard turnaround, but. Hey, this is a big boy basketball. And they didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't execute it very well. And as Coach K said, they weren't, even if the deacon didn't make the shot, they weren't worthy of winning that game. They didn't want to have to win. So that's that's how I've seen it. I think they are playing at a higher level now than they have at any point this season.
0: Does it remind you at all the 2015 team? Uh,
1: it does because um, you know, that team had a big, you know, big guy inside Oka Ford. This one has Mark Williams, that kind of stuff. But um yeah, you know, the they 15 team lost those three games in January, three conference games. Suleiman got kicked off the team uh, in late January. And uh, yeah, and they, they went rolling into the ACC tournament and and, and were, were ready to go. They didn't win the ACC that year. Notre Dame got them again. But but uh, yeah, uh, with the momentum they have going, it reminds me of that team more than like Zion's team a couple of years ago, because yeah. that team. Lost games late because Zion got hurt, right? And they were trying to scramble and get it back. They really never did, even though they won the ACC. They never got back to that level of play they had before Zion's injury. So, yeah, this is more like that team for sure.
0: It it's the development that reminds me, and maybe it's because they're both centered around a a big win at Virginia. Although the 2015 Virginia team was a powerhouse, and it took everything Duke had to beat them. And this Virginia team is not, but. I just remember watching that team evolve over the second half of the season and solve a lot of the issues it had been having defensively, um, offensively. Uh, you know, uh, the Tyus Jones is emergent in the second half of that season is the guy who was gonna have the ball when it mattered. Um and and you know, sort of this team hasn't quite maybe figured that out exactly to the same degree, but when John Shire was <laughs> coaching against Wake, it was Bancaro. And I think there's something to be said. For putting the ball in your best player's hands, especially when you look at how their season ended in 2019, without getting the ball to Zion against Michigan State, that could not defend him in that game. Right, a struggle. I I shouldn't say good night. Struggled to defend him in that game, and instead it's it's RJ Barrett with 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 not a great shot coming out coming out of a timeout, if I remember correctly, or at least an out of bounds. Uh, He he got
1: he got fouled, missed a free throw. Remember he had two shots, free throws, and he missed one. But yeah, they didn't. Didn't get the greatest of shots. He was kind of bailed out by that foul, I think, if I remember right.
0: It was yeah, a, yeah. No, I th- I it wasn't think that, a great, that great up. one not the greatest play It wasn't a great look, um, no. and it wasn't in Zion's hands, which is, I'm right. sure, what Michigan State was expecting. And I don't think it was a case necessarily of, you know, Kay or anyone else out thinking themselves, saying we can't get the ball to Zion. It just didn't work out. I think the play was possibly supposed to go to Zion, but. I just remember Zion afterward in that locker room and I think it was MCI center. Then maybe it was Verizon center, whatever in in DC, no rats falling from the ceiling that day, but you never know. (laughs) And I just remember sort of him kind of saying over and over again, that he never kind of got the chance, you know, he never, it wasn't how he, he expected if they were going to lose, it would be because he missed at the most important moment Mm -hmm. and he never even got that chance. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens with this team there's still a lot of water to go under that particular bridge. But I do think it was interesting that in the one game that Kay didn't finish, uh, you know, he started, started the game. He, he didn't coach the game at Wake, but the, the, the home game against Wake Shire pretty clearly um, wanted the balls in Bancaro and that sort of point forward setup to me. And I'm, I'm an idiot, but to me, Keels is the guy mm-hmm. that I want because he can distribute, he can dribble, he can drive. Uh, and then they have to honor all of that, which is going to open something up for somewhere else. And he's strong enough that if he does drive and get fouled, he could potentially finish through contact. Yes, you know, that to me, that's even though he's not a quote unquote point guard, which is fine. To me, he's the one who presents the greatest array of threats that you have to honor, and also is going to at some point open something up for Williams or Ben Caro or Griffin or Wendell Moore because they're going to have to honor all. They, someone's going to have to help at some point if Trevor Keels has the ball and whether you try to do a pick and roll with Vankero or Williams or whatever, I thought the four five pick and roll they did the other day with Vankero and Williams is a fascinating wrinkle. I don't know how you ever defend that. Right. Uh, you know, maybe that's what they end up doing, but there's, there's a lot going on there. Uh, is there a moment this season, Steve, where you, where you, that you feel is a, a pivotal one or a turning point for this team?
1: I'm just going to go back just a few, just last week, maybe it's recency bias. I don't know, but, that Virginia game that, that appeared to be, it was always on the verge of getting away. They had to lead the whole second half. Virginia never caught them, but it was always right there. They couldn't, they get a little eight-point lead, then Virginia go on a 6-0 run. They couldn't, you know, separate and make it really comfortable at the end. And they called a timeout at the under four, or the under four happened, you know, they had a timeout. And then they ran the play, and A.J. Griffin hits a three-pointer. And then A.J. Griffin hit, you know, another three, and he stole the ball, and He had, you know, lay layup. He scored eight points in a row. And, and they they won that game. And, you know, that game could have gone the opposite. And uh, that, to me, was like, okay, all right, they, they've got this. Like, this is, again, they finished off a win, which they had a little trouble doing, right? I know they won other close games. I understand, Wade, Clemson. But but against that caliber of team, in that setting, uh, and they ran plays, and A.J. hit the shot, you know? So uh, that, that sticks out to me at this point of, of one that was like, okay, this team's they could go on a little run there. They could they've got
0: got this together. It's crazy to think that this team has lost four games and it led all of four of those games in the second half. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it beat you know, has beaten Gonzaga, beaten Kentucky, how different the narrative would be if it could have finished against Ohio State, against Florida State, against Miami, against against Virginia. It's it's, it's crazy how different it would be. All right, let's let's wrap this up with uh, something appropriately K focused. What's your favorite K story from your twelve years? I think thirteen years. Twelve years. Thirteen years. Twelve. Yes. Twelve years on the beat. So, hmm,
1: man, what's popping into my head
0: here? You want me to go?
1: <laughs> well, I'm thinking. It's. it's it, I, I was asked this earlier, and I, I defaulted to the, to the Cardinals stuff I have with him. Man, that's yeah. that's a fun thing for me <laughs> when uh, when I come in. You know, it's happened multiple times when. Uh, 2019, we we're having the preseason press conference, and the Cardinals just swept the Cubs in Wrigley Field. And the first thing he says, he looks at me and says, "No, St. Louis Cardinals questions." You know, so it's just a side of him. You know, we don't get to see very much of. So I guess that's maybe that's too personal from my point of view. But that that that's fun for me that he's you know got that little tit for tat going there.
0: Yeah, he never likes to talk with me about the Cubs. So that's <laughs> I think he I think he likes I think he likes the jab more than he likes the yes, the armor on the shoulder. That's his.
1: That's just, that's his, uh, his thing.
0: I have, I have one story from, from Brooklyn, either in 2017 or 2018. I can't remember which one, probably, probably 17 because Matt Jones is on the team. I know that. Uh, I, although I will say that the close second is the the preseason press conference this year where he said in his farewell, he said, "Now nah, you guys all, all write nice things about me. You know, don't, don't rip me in my last year. I can see D Cox over there. His hands are shaking um I thought, yes. I thought that, that was that was vaguely amusing um <laughs> trying to trying to trying to head me off at the path uh but i uh, the, the, i have a clip of this i think it's pretty funny it's actually in my twitter bio that year in brooklyn duke had won a game so Kay was on the podium second and the duke locker room was open well whoever they had beaten I can't remember. it was an earlier game it was probably you know louisville or pitt or somebody like that and i'd been in the duke locker room well whoever it was capable or Chris Mack, whoever was on the, the podium. And I came, I left the Duke locker room and I came back in and I asked a question, one of the, one of the first couple of questions at the press conference. And I said, you know, I, I just asked Matt jo- or Matt Jones just said, and he cut me off and said, did you already talk to Matt? And I said, well, yeah, I was, I just got back from the locker room. He goes, well, you're, you're a quick son of a buck. And I said, uh, I said something like, uh, well, I'm, I'm faster than I look. And he said, uh, he said, well, you're a hell of a lot faster than you look. Uh, So that was, uh, that was kind of amusing, but you know, I think it's a sign, I think it's to a little bit, it's a a minor sign of respect that those of us like you and me who who hustle and work at this and will you know, come in and try to ask them a question like that, that isn't, you know, something vapid, but is, is founded in something one of the players said. And it it was about, I think Duke's identity evolving, um. Yeah, you know, that's, I always thought that was pretty funny. Uh, nobody yeah, has ever, no one has ever accused me of being uh, fleet of foot, but I guess I was that <laughs> day. Uh, he spotted the a,
1: talent, man. He spotted it, the talent. I guess.
0: We have a ton of coverage uh, on newsobserver.com already. Um, he's got a great story about Kay's relationship with Cameron and how that will evolve when he's not coaching. Uh, I talked to uh, William Harris, who's a, uh, the custodian who takes care of Cameron at night and, uh, grew up in Durham, a Duke fan, and kind of his relationship with Kay and how it's going to be emotional for him on Saturday. Uh, I, I don't know if you call this breaking news 42 years later, but I'm not sure anyone's written it before. Uh, if Tom Butters had gotten cold feet on Mike Krzyzewski in 1980, he was ready to hire Old Dominion coach Paul Webb, which is not a name that comes up very often anywhere these days. Uh, no. but both Steve Busendek, who was Butters' sort of mm-hmm. and and Webb both said that Butters had told both of them that was the case. And it was, of course, the Sendak who, who pushed Krzyzewski and Webb uh, to Butters. And, and Butters obviously ended up uh, going with his gut and, and hiring Krzyzewski. But uh, anything else you want to mention? Andrew Carter has a great story about Dean oh. Smith and Coach K and their relationship. That's really good. Anything else you've done this week that you'd want to mention, Steve?
1: Um, you know, I, I I do want to mention more about Andrew's story. I want to make sure people are aware take a chance to read what Andrew wrote about the the relationship that coach K and Dean Smith developed over the decades and and right up to the end of Dean's life. And, um, it's something that, uh, you know, Andrew and I had to sit down with, with coach K in his office last summer, and He, he opened up to us about that, which is something we hadn't heard before. And I think it's a story he wanted to kind of get out. He was, he was, it was on his mind, uh, and Andrew just, of course, did a tremendous job with it, just like you did with the stories you just mentioned, which were fantastic. Especially that one—that one about web was, was was new. It's it's new in news, even though it's 42 years old. It's something people didn't know, and that's the fun thing about this business. So good, good by you, uh, good for you, and doing that. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, the other night in Pittsburgh, the um, the stuff with Jeff Capel, the, the the ceremony that Pittsburgh did. I have a story up about that. Uh, and, and we talked earlier about this, about Coach K kind of letting his guard down a little bit and letting the emotions. Oh, my God, Mike Elko. <laughs> uh, letting the emotions. <laughs> yes,
0: letting well, his emotions
1: uh, 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 show. That. Yeah. And uh that. And that was a, a special night in, in Pittsburgh. In, in, a, in a non-traditional ACC market, that was his last road game. Last time he was going on an opponent's home, you know, full, home floor to coach game as Duke's coach, uh, as his last pile up. That was one, but it it, it meant something to him. So, uh, my story's up about that, and with videos of of Capel and Coach K talking about it. And Again, Capel was wiping away tears before he tried to coach the game, and Steve got overwhelmed. So, um, yeah, that was it. And again, I want to make sure i mentioned this. I think that was a tough night for Jeff in many ways.
0: Yeah. Well, I he had to I go. People- Oh, shake
1: John Shire's hand before the game, and he did. I mean, they. Yeah. But that's the job he wanted, right? And he he didn't get it. He wouldn't really in stiff a distance of it when it came down, down to it, and that I'm sure is difficult for him.
0: Yeah, and 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 the other part of it with the sort of farewell to Kay for him is I think people forget that when Jeff Cable second, his dad was diagnosed with ALS, um, Kay put him on Duke's bench as an honorary coach for one yes. game. Yes, uh, And that, you know, this is someone who had been a coach at Fayetteville State and other places, uh, you know, a deep connection to basketball in the state of North Carolina. And obviously two sons who had legacy, have legacies of their own. But a deeply meaningful gesture to the Capel family, both of whom are on Pittsburgh's bench now. you know, Jeff and right. Jason. So right. uh, I think people forget sometimes that Jason, despite playing at UNC, you know, does have a, 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 that emotional connection to Duke as well. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of that on Saturday. Uh, we'll have, uh, obviously, full coverage. Um, and CL Brown, our, our UNC beat writer, will be there. Andrew, all of us. Uh, it'll, it'll it'll be wild. And uh, we can get it over with and get on to Brooklyn and, and uh, you know, get to the ACC tournaments and, and beyond. So thank you, Steve, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll be back on uh, Tuesday, uh, maybe even Monday, with a special ACC tournament podcast from Brooklyn. So thanks, everyone, for listening.